I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo's choice, and this is a podcast, and we are so close to number one. It's driving me crazy, and I don't even know where we are. I think this is like 98 and it's a lucky number it's a lucky number i have someone who i know nothing about she's been in the rowing world for a very long time she's younger than me but she's the director of women's rowing at bu this is maddie davis tully maddie thank you for doing this i cannot wait to learn about your career awesome thanks alex i'm glad to be here so maddie i did some of my homework Okay, I learned a little bit about you. And I will tell you, I told five people that I'm talking to talking to you today, and they all said she is kick ass. This is gonna be a fun conversation. So that's five different people. They were all (laughs) maybe they're lying. I don't know. But we start every podcast the same. Where were you? How old were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Yeah, I so I started rowing in high school. Uh, I started rowing freshman year of high school. Uh, I grew up outside Philadelphia in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Uh, so I started rowing at uh, Sacred Heart. Um, and I, so, you know, 13 or whatever you are, freshman year of high school. Yeah, right. Um, I uh, had tried, like, like many rowers, uh, pretty much every other sport that was out there and uh, loved sports and loved being on teams, uh, wasn't really good at any of them. Um, so Rowan was sort of my last hope to be an athlete. <laughs> uh, so, so hold on, so, so hold on, because I, I don't want to put down rowing. Like you, you know, it's, it's not the last thing. No, 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 it, it's, it, it was for me, it's for not you. for many. <laughs> so, so, okay, so did you like growing up, did your parents direct you to like try soccer and try field hockey and try this and try that. But it, it was, it wasn't until Sacred Heart that you sort of found your niche, what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I tried, right. Soccer, basketball, softball, fencing, everything. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, wasn't very naturally good at any of them. Um, and, you know, I was like actively pretty bad at, at most of them, but like playing sports, like being on teams. Uh, and my dad is a rower. Uh, so my dad rode in college and rode uh, as a master's rower in Philly as as I was a kid. So this whole time, sort of in the background, I was watching races on the Schuylkill, cheering on my dad. I think I went to the head of the Charles in like ninety, whatever, like age age ten something, you know, okay. to watch my dad race there. So so all right, well, I mean, just because I'm interested, where did he row in college? So he rode at Notre Dame. It's a big University time. That's a, all right. That's a big time. Uh, yep. And then Masters Rowing, Westchester, I'm assuming White Marsh. I'm assuming like that sort of area. Did he go all the way downtown? to? Row? No, no. We, yeah, he was in Philly. There was, I don't think there was a White Marsh then. Probably not. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was, that was pre-White Marsh. So he was, he was rowing at Fairmount. A Fairmount so, guy? And uh, this yeah. is awesome. This is, and now. Yeah. Is, are you lucky enough to still have, is he still here? I mean, is he still active? Yep. Is, is rowing and all that? Is uh, he's not, so he's not in Philly anymore, uh, but he is, he, he went and rode in San Diego for a while. Uh, so he's, he's been around, he's been around rowing for. So for you find, you get to Sacred Heart, you start rowing. What kind of success were you finding at the high school level? Uh, so freshman year, pretty mediocre. You know, we were fine. It was a small team. This team had just started, uh, you know, I think two years before I got there. So, you know, we were really small, sculling only, you know, quads and doubles kind of program. Um, and then the summer after freshman year, I had like a very, looking back on it, what ended up being a very pivotal choice, which was what I, what I was going to do for summer rowing. I knew I knew I knew I liked it enough to know I wanted to try it for the summer, but I didn't really know what to do. And I had the choice to go to Vesper, which was where Sacred Heart rode out of. Um, and it's sort of like it was a bigger program. It was eights. 
Um, you know, it was good, but it was sort of a big, big junior program at the time or to go to Fairmount, which is where my dad was rowing. And they had a really small group there, um, co-ed, all sculling, you know, probably at less than 15 of us total, um, including what ended up being the, the girls junior national team double, um, and some other really good boats that were rowing out of there. And uh, so I went to a week at Navy crew camp the beginning of the summer, a, a time honored yes. high school tradition. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, eat, slept and breathed rowing for five days or whatever. Like, oh, I, yeah, I could get into this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, begged my way into the Fairmount group for which I was totally unqualified for. Um, John Kiefer gave me a shot. So shout out to Mr. Kiefer. Um, and uh, I, I got to row with that group all summer. I was, uh, he put me in a single right away. I'd never rowed the single before. We skipped like right over any sort of training boats or whatever. Uh, you know, he'd send me first. We'd have the girls junior national team double, uh, a boys quad, you know, boats that were way faster than me. And he would just send me first and everybody would chase me down and we'd spin and go back and do it again. Um, and it was, uh, and I loved it. Like it was great. It was definitely trial by fire. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I can like, I just want to like picture this, the Schuylkill big river. Yeah. There you are, this tiny little 14 year old girl in a single yeah. that's probably not quite her size, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Being chased down by the junior national team double and a men's quad. And there you are yep. enjoying every minute of it. It was awesome. Yep. Had no idea what I was doing. Just trying not to flip, but it was, yeah, it was like, it was just an awesome way to start in the sport. Can you appreciate though, how magical Boathouse Row is? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. there, there, there really is, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps. There's nothing like Boathouse Row in the summer in a single. Tell yep. me I'm lying. I'm not lying. No, you're right. I got, I got my Boathouse Row picture back. I haven't hung it yet, but I got my Boathouse Row picture right there. Yes. I think every every Philly rower has got to have a boathouse row picture somewhere in their house. I think that's like oh. a, that's a rule, right? I have mine. I so I have a um, a fireplace, and it's above my hot fireplace. And my yep. parents bought that for me a, a, a painting uh, like seven years ago, and it goes yep. everywhere with me. Exactly. Everywhere. Yeah, this one my grandma got this for me when I was in high school, and it's it's actually a winter scene. And it's, you know, the boathouses are covered in snow. The docks are covered in snow. And my grandmother gave it to me and said, oh, I thought this was so interesting. You always see Boathouse Row in the summer, but no one ever thinks about Boathouse Row in the winter. And I was like, God, all I think about is Boathouse Row in the winter because I want to get off the urges back to Boathouse Row. I mean, especially where you're at now. I mean, gosh, BU, but BU is beautiful. All right. So no, I mean, it's a bit of sacrilege to sit here in Boston and, and you know, talk about how amazing Philly is. I got to be careful here. <laughs> But it's, yeah, you know, you might you might get some people at this point. They're like, I'm not listening to this. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So Sacred Heart, Summer Rowing, you you went the non-traditional route, which is really cool. Like, I appreciate that. You're not going the eights and the fours. You're keeping the small boats. Yeah. Where do you go after high school? Like, what what do you start doing? Where do you trend at that point? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I got I went I went on to Princeton. I rode lightweight at Princeton. Um, you know, I think I spent senior year, junior, senior year, still sort of figuring out in high school, like, could I, could I do this realistically, you know, at this level? And, uh, and, and was I, was I ready for it? And uh, so I think in looking around at colleges, it became pretty evident to me, like I had no real thoughts about not rowing. Um, hmm. And so gained a little bit of confidence just through the recruiting process and having coaches that were interested at least. Um, and so ended up, ended up rowing at, at Princeton with a lightweight squad. And what was your, um, I'm interested because we actually just did a rower's choice live event with, uh, Brian Volpenheim, uh, Rebecca Grabowski and, um, Eric Karsich. And we were talking about recruiting. Yeah. So your sacred heart, your small program, your boathouse row, right. Got it. But you know, sacred heart's not, Greenwich. It's not CR. We were in a real powerhouse, I would say. Right. Okay. So, but what were your stats? I mean, can you think back to what, oh. you know, your height, your weight, your 2K was? Cause that was like, 
we talked about it a lot last night. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I don't want my 2K available for public consumption at that time, but it was pretty slow. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I rode lightweight, right? So I was, and I was, I was easily a lightweight, right? So I was, I was five, six, I was like 122 pounds. Wow. Uh, I had, you know, I was not a powerhouse. I had some results. Um, you know, we'd won, we won cities, we medaled at Stoats. Uh, you know, I, I had some like, okay, fine finishes with, uh, club nats and Canadian yeah. heavy, that kind of stuff, all in small boats. So like doubles, quads, is that like that was sort of like yeah, sing, single, single, double quad. Yeah, I race pretty much everything. Okay, all right. So you do Princeton. Um, you you do find some success there at the lightweight race. So back then, that was like the IRA. You're going to the IRA. You're racing racing lightweight women's. Um, yeah, yeah. How many medals did you did you come home with back then? Oh one but but it was a great but it was a gold <laughs> so we, we, won, we won the lightweight for my sophomore year uh, and I, so and that was that was that was pretty awesome uh, and that was that was a really fun year and Princeton um, is so I mean let's let's just say how bougie you are for a minute boathouse row in the summers Princeton for four years I mean you're talking about picturesque rowing there's not a lot of people on this planet that have had those opportunities. I hope, I hope you're, you feel lucky or fortunate to have done that. No, I, yes, yes. I have had an incredibly fortunate rowing career. And I think just to be able to start, to start on Boathouse Row, to go from there to Philly, to, to Princeton, you know, I think I've, I have been fortunate enough to call places home in the rowing world that I know the vast majority of rowers, you know, dream about visiting dream about getting the chance to row out of boathouse row to to get to go to the princeton boathouse i mean they're like they're, these are really iconic places in the rowing world and and i just sort of walked into being able to you know call those places home right my high school i'm like oh yeah you know sacred heart was just a little small high school team we wrote out a best book you know like <laughs> it was unreal <laughs> I just, it's like iconic. It's, it's the red, it's the, it's the wood. You go down to the dock and you got, you got, you got the beautiful site to your left and you got the nice little berm in here. And then yeah. Princeton. I mean, if that's not one of the best rowing courses on the planet, I don't know what is the 2k yeah. stretch. I um, remember like freshman year, you know, we were out for a practice and the coxswain says, okay, we've, uh, we've got, a, we've got a wake coming in. Everybody, you know, get ready. We've got a weight coming in. And it was like this little ripple from like what the lightweight men's launch or something. And I was, like, Oh, this place is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is perfect. Everything yeah. is the way it is. Um, now you have such an interesting career choice. I find it interesting because there's just not a lot of professional coaches compared to like other professions. What was your major at Princeton? Because it sure as hell wasn't coaching, right? That's it was not a not. thing. So what was your major? Uh, classics. Say that one more time. Classics. Wow. Okay. Like so, ancient Greece and Rome. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, not anywhere near what you're doing right now. Um, no. What was your intention career-wise? <laughs> Great question. Uh, I didn't know. I had no idea uh, what I what I really wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, while I was in school, I didn't know where I wanted to go career wise. And so I just chose to study something that I found really interesting. Um, you know, I took a couple of classics, cl classics classes, um, and just found it a fascinating topic and figured, you know, through, through this education and, you know, I, I'm still a big believer in the, in the value of a liberal arts education and, the fact that, you know, learning to read and write and reason critically and communicate effectively is, is really important. And so my hope was, okay, it's sort of in this weird specific venue of classics, but I can learn to, to read and write and reason and, and argue and communicate and that those skills will transfer over to something else. You know, I, I considered going into marketing for a while. I think that would have been sort of a not a natural transition because there's nothing natural about going from ancient Greece to <laughs> marketing, but you know, the, the skill set transfers over potentially grad school, law school, you know, those kinds of things. I figured I'll study something I like and then I'll, and then I'll figure it out. 
Um, and I tried to look into a bunch of marketing jobs my senior year and did a lot of, you know, educational interviews and a lot of phone calls. And I was just like, God, this does not sound that interesting <laughs> to I, me. They're not, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can just tell you, this is really fascinating to me. Uh, I like this story. I, you know, my my mother and father bugged the shit out of me with a, what are you doing with your career, Alex? What are you doing? What are you doing? One day I say, I want to be a TV anchor, man. That's my dream. And then I say to them, you know, I really could probably just do advertising sales. But for you to do classic studies, I, I, I mean, if I said that to my parents, I don't know about yours, but they wouldn't, they'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah, I was very fortunate that my parents were supportive of, of that trajectory because I think they knew the same, you know, the same thing that I did, which was I don't have, you know, I didn't have a clear sort of professional track to be on. And, and I do think something that was beneficial is that at, at Princeton, there aren't pre-professional majors. So you can't go into pre-law or business or those kind of majors. Um, and so, you know, there were definitely a lot of career talk for sure, but also I think a lot of space for people to, to be studying art history and English and, you know, sociology and, and other, you know, other majors like that, that had more or less sort of direct career tracks. Um, but no, I was very fortunate that, that my mom and dad were, were willing to let me study classics and figure it out. Uh, yeah. I, 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 like I have three kids and I would, I would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I would probably ask that question as well now. You're like, what are you doing? Um, okay. So at what point, in your career at Princeton, I'm, I'm assuming your senior year, uh, we are like, you know what, I kind of want to give rowing a try. I want to coach rowing. Like what, when, when did that pop in your head? Yeah. So I, um, that, that senior year, as I was starting to do these interviews for, for marketing jobs and, um, you know, I feeling a little adrift, I think a lot of, there's a lot of pressure from within, you know, peers and, and, you know, within the school of, okay, we're going to, we're going to graduate. We're going to get a job at, you know, Wall Street or this consulting firm and, and all, or go to med school and sort of take those tracks. And, and I felt a little bit lost in all of that. And so I had all these marketing calls was not speaking to me. Uh, and so I thought about, well, what do I like to do? Let's start there. What do I like to do? And then figure out how can I make a living doing it? And uh, I liked school. I liked going to school. I liked being a student. I always liked that. Um, and I liked rowing. So I thought, okay, how can I combine these two things? Um, and so I thought about boarding schools. And so I thought, you know, I, I can, maybe I want to be a teacher. Maybe I want to be a coach. I, being a coach had never really occurred to me. I think I really thought I was going to be a teacher. Uh, like I, I never spent time as an athlete, think, you know, looking at my coaches and thinking, that was something that I wanted to try. I don't know why, but I didn't. And so I thought I'll go to boarding school. I'll teach. I can, you know, coach some rowing there. It'll be like Dead Poets Society. It's going to be awesome. And right, it'll be great. What a beautiful image, by the way. Right, right. It'd, it'd be awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so I found a website that had a list of every boarding school in the country that had a rowing team. And I emailed every boarding school in the country with a rowing team and said, can I teach something and coach your rowing team? <laughs> uh, do you have any openings? You know, here's, here's my background. Here's my skill set, which was very limited at the time. Um, you know, do, do you have anything for me? And, uh, and so I heard the, the only school that happened to have to answer and have the somewhat appropriate openings was the Hun School, which is right in Princeton. It was literally just Yeah, of course, I know it, yeah. Yeah, so um, made for an easy interview. Um, and I, I think I did it that summer. So the summer after senior year, I, I rode at Vesper and uh, made the under 23 national team in the lightweight double. And so somewhere in there, I was coming back and forth from Philly, went interviewed there in Princeton, uh, you know, got, got a position there in the resident life office and substitute teaching, but as the head girls coach. So 
it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do on the school side of things, but was way more <laughs> than I was prepared for on the rowing side of things. Cause I went right from having never coached to being the, the head golf coach there. Uh, so yeah, after the summer started there, worked in the office, did a little bit of substitute teaching, but not, I mean, very, very little. And we've all had substitute teachers. I mean, it's not like, it's mm-hmm. not, it wasn't great. Right. I had a worksheet or a episode of something to show them on the TV and like, that was it. So the teaching part, I didn't really get a good experience for. Um, but the coaching part, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, and I started realizing that I had the opportunity through coaching to have a, have a really big personal impact on the rowers mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't really feel like the teachers there that, you know, teachers that I was friends with was working with were really having, I mean, they, they have, right. But I, I think not in sort of the personal level that, that you can have as a coach. And, um, and I had just sort of a couple rowers in particular that were, you know, really developed that year. I think found some things in themselves that they didn't really know. And I felt like I was able to have some impact in, in helping them realize that potential. And, and we had some success. And so that was, that was big. Like that first year was just like completely formative for me um, in terms of deciding like which way to go with that. You're, 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 I'm trying to paint a a picture here. So you're like 22. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I was on the under 23 team. Right. So I'm like 23 doing this. Yeah. So you're like, you're, you're food, food deprived, sleep deprived training and they throw you in the fire yep. as the head coach forget about assistant just let's 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 skip yep. right up right away from that what was your support system like as a head coach were you calling on people that you were in your past were you calling on coaches and saying i need help with this can you give me advice or was it were you just so dead focused on you that you just did it yourself yeah um a little bit of both. I should have been calling more people than I was. That's for sure. Um, but you know, I did, I was still around, you know, my coach from Princeton and, and the Princeton rowing scenes. That was really helpful. Um, my roommate was an assistant coach at Princeton at the time. Um, and I had a lot of friends that were training there at the national team. And so I had a lot yeah. of, you know, rowers that were around. Um, but you know, I really, my, the biggest support that I had while I was doing that was, was our boys coach there, Jeff Evans, who was just, he had been there for a while. Um, and he was great, a great coach and a great teacher and just a great mentor for, for the boys and knew the girls team, you know, pretty well. And so he was just huge for helping me understand, like, how do I coach at this level? Because I was really kind of hesitant to reach out to other coaches, college coaches and things like that. Cause I just felt like this is a totally different world. I realized with some distance, it's rowing's rowing. Uh, it's not as different as we, as we all would think. And I, you know, whether the splits are a little slower, you you know, what you're, who you're racing on Saturday is a little different. It's all, it's all very similar. Um, but Jeff was an awesome resource for me. And, um, but I, I don't think I called as many people for as much help as I should have. I was just like drinking from the fire hose, just trying to keep, keep things moving. Uh, but uh, yeah, but, but I think that's the, I think that's what most 22, 23 year old coaches do. Um, yeah. They don't realize that it's okay to make a yeah. phone call or an email. Well, and I just felt like, advice. why would people want to help me? Like they're doing their own thing. They got to coach their own teams. And I was wrong. Like plenty of people would have helped me out. Clearly. Got me. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So what do you do next after the hunt school? Yeah. So from there, I went to Stanford uh, and I coached Stanford lightweights for three years. Uh, So Al Acosta was the coach there at the time. uh, And he knew I had reached out to him before uh, when I was looking for a job Uh, after graduation. I had I'd always had it in my head that I wanted to be in San Francisco. I had no real reason. I had not been to San Francisco other than to visit Stanford when I was in high school. So I didn't really know anything about it, but I, I wanted to be there. And so I'd reached out to him a little bit before just to see if he knew of any junior programs that had openings or anybody to talk to. Uh, and so un- unknowingly, I think that became a huge um, 
you know, an important step because then he was aware of that, that I was there and I existed and I was coaching. Uh, and that you I took was it upon yourself. You took it upon yourself to reach out to him. It, it, there yeah. wasn't like a, a row 2k ad that said Stanford's no. looking. You just said, Hey, I know someone out there. I'm going to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the year before, like I was looking the year before, like, Hey, do you know, junior, junior jobs that are, that are, you know, might be looking for an assistant coach or something like that. I was just looking for somebody in the area. So what year, what year did you go out to Stanford? Cause there was some pretty, really successful years in Stanford. Not too yeah. You, so you I went out there year? fall of 2010. So I was there for three years. We won, they won IRAs the, their first time the, that 2010. And then I was there for the three, three wins after that as well. So we won IRAs three times while I was out there in the first eight. So it was, it was a good, it was a good place to that's be. That's a good time. That's a, that's a good time to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. To be there. I just uh, I want to point out to the audience listening at this point, let's just recap. Boathouse Row, beautiful, historic, can't get enough. <laughs> Go to Princeton, ridiculous. Go to Hun, right down the street. And then fly all the way over to another gorgeous place to row and find more success. Either you're a lucky charm or you're the I, you're a lucky charm. No, you, I just keep finding myself in the right place at the right time. Like Stanford won before I was there, right? I just got in at the right time. And and you'll see down the line, I the same thing at Ohio State. Like I I I I lucked into positioning myself yeah. in, in the right groups at the right time. What advice do you have uh, for someone who would have been you 10 years ago? Like imagine someone in your position right now, let's say some assistant, second assistant at some program. What advice do you have uh, for finding these opportunities or exploring these opportunities? Yeah, I think don't be, don't ever be afraid to reach out to somebody um, to ask, do they have a job? Do they know somebody that has a job? If, if that's what you're looking for, or just, like, can you get on a call and talk to me about coaching, about how you got to where you are, what your advice is? Um, you know, I, I was, like we just talked about, I think I probably could have done it more from a coaching perspective, but I, but I also think, you know, I, I, was, I was relatively unafraid to ask the people around me for, for help and guidance. And, and I think that come, you know, being at the Princeton Boathouse and having four teams there, Right. I, I reached out to Greg Hughes, who wasn't my coach, but was a coach there and said, Hey, I, you know, I applied for this high school job. I think, you know, some things about the program. Can we talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Right. And then now it's just, it's just some other resource like, Hey, Curtis, I'm thinking about these things. Can you talk to me about these, these jobs or what you think my next step should be? How do I make this move? Yeah, so and, many coaches though are, are like horse blinders on, right? So it takes a lot for someone to get away from that and and build the path they want to go on yeah right? yeah and i think so there's focused a, on the boat in front of them what you're doing yeah and, and i think there's a hesitation that like you know like i sort of felt like why are these people gonna care about me or give me this time like i'm not i'm not helping them right why are they going to give me this time and attention and i think what i realized through going through it on both sides with being being the young coach starting out that's looking for some help and now being in a position where I'm getting some of these calls and I'm having the opportunities to, to network and mentor with younger coaches is they're almost always willing to just sit there and talk to you about rowing, right. And their, their career and how they got there, what they think you should do or what you should think about or explore. And, and you can always ask. And the worst that happens is somebody's a jerk and they don't want to help you out and then screw them and go talk to the next person. Right. There's there's so many resources out there, and I think we kind of hold each, ourselves back by just being unwilling to make that that awkward email or that awkward call. It's just like, hey, I know you don't really know me, but could <laughs> could we set up a time for a call? I want to ask you some questions. Well, like you said, I love it. Uh, screw them, right? Yeah. If they don't want to help you, screw them. You know how many coaches there are out there? Hey, there's somebody else that out there that's going to be really excited to help you out. And that first person doesn't, whatever, go to the next one. There's, there's more people out there. And that's how you build a coaching network and a coaching family of people that you can, that you can trust. And that, you know, maybe next year or five years or 10 years down the line there, they need a new assistant or they talk to their friend who's hiring and they put your name forward. 
or maybe it's just a person that you can call when you're in a tough situation and you're like, oh, I'm dealing with this thing on my team and I've never experienced it before. Let me call some of my peers and see, you know, have they experienced and how they dealt with it before. And being able to do that is so beneficial. That's something really uh, that, that strikes a chord to me. So yesterday talking to Rebecca Temple, she says it's really lonely being the head coach because you don't, you can't go to your assistant and complain about something. It's different, right? You have to yeah. position yourself. And she, she had mentioned to me something along the lines of like, I don't have a lot of people that I can confide in and talk to that understand the position that I'm in. So you saying finding that coaching family, I think it's so important, right? Yeah. At every level, like find man, woman, I don't care who it is. Just find someone in your little family there that you can lean on. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's not encouraged, I think. I mean, I, so seeking it is, is nice. I like that. Yeah, I think it's it's so important. And, and what Rebecca said, I mean, I, I completely agree with what Rebecca said. It's it's lonely. And it's head coaching. It's, it's a lonely job. And you're in a position that, you know, your, your assistant coach, coaches are going through it with you. They get it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it's different. And, you know, the ultimate responsibility falls on the head coach's shoulders. And, and like you said, you know, there's certain things that it's just like not appropriate or productive to be complaining to your assistants about, right? You, you also have to maintain team morale and staff morale and, and be productive. And, and those are all, you know, the way you're managing a team, you're managing a staff as well. And so, you know, a lot of this is just like you're left alone at the end of the day, you know, driving home in your car sitting in the drinking your coffee in the morning before we go in being like, I got to figure out a lot of stuff. And like, ultimately it's, it's coming down to me. And so to be able to turn to other head coaches who are in that situation, have been in that situation and, and are willing to share how they dealt with it or just listen and be like, yeah, sucks. (laughs) Right. It it helps. It it makes a huge difference. Heavy wears the crown. Um, Yeah. So you get this job at Ohio State at a yeah. time that the things are just running great for you, right? Yeah. So yeah. Stanford, the Ohio State. When do you go to the what year did you start at the Ohio State? So I started there fall of 2013. So I was there for four seasons, 14, 15, 16, 17 springs. Yeah. And this whole time, so from 2010. To 2017, you're building this. Uh, you're, you're you're building your resume, but you're assistant coach, right? You're yeah. you're you're really like your backseat, your support system. Um, is this when you made the jump to head coach in 2017? Yeah, yeah. So that's how how did that job come about? Walk me through the recruiting process on that one. You getting recruited or going after it and applying for that job? Yeah. So I had been. You know, I'd been looking for probably the summer before that as well. Just, I knew that my, my goal in coaching, you know, after a certain point in the beginning, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just coach until I figure out a real job. And, and then, you know, just sort of kept building and building. And so at some point in there, you know, it became clear to me, like, this is what I, this is what I want to do for a while. And, and I want to be a head coach. Um, And so I, I knew that that was my end goal. I was. I was in a really good situation at Ohio State. You know, we, we were successful. I had been a pro, uh, uh, promoted to associate head coach. Like it was, you know, we had we had some good stuff going on there. Um, and so I didn't want to leave for just anything. You know, I wasn't I wasn't desperate. I wanted to leave for the right the right move and a place where I could see myself something that really fit with with me, my priorities, my goals. And, you know, something I, I thought I could really build something that was my own. Cause I think, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit, but I, I had been, you know, with Stanford and Ohio state at a, some amazing places. And I also felt a little bit like both places, they won the national championship before I got there. Right. And I just sort of like slotted in and, and like mm-hmm. tried to not mess it up. So I really wanted the opportunity to, to build something myself. And so the, the BU job, came open. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any really close connections to BU. I didn't know a lot more about, you know, the team or the university other than, you know, what you could from a distance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I talked to a couple of alumni uh, about about the program that, you know, friends of friends that I had been put in touch with and, you know, reached out, reached out to the administration there. And just right from the get go, it was really, I think two things are really appealing to me. The first was that it's just a really academically oriented school. It's, it's really high academic standards. It's got really, really driven, you know, a very driven student body. And, uh, and, and that appealed to me. You know, I liked having been a student athlete at Princeton. I really valued the the education and the athletic piece together um, and being able to do both of those at a really, really high level and not having one detract from the other. And I think there's few places where you can do it really at, at you could be a student and be an athlete at really high level and be successful there. And so right from the get-go, I got, I was really getting that from BU that the academics here are, are really important. And, you know, and we want it to be a, a really competitive D1 program. And so that, that really appealed to me. And then throughout the interviewing process, I think just hearing that sort of same message from everybody that I spoke to within the department, from the students that were on the team, that was really encouraging because I want, you know, when I looked at sort of my long-term vision in the sport, the educational piece of that was really important to me. Winning races is really important. And knowing that, you know, your rowers are developing personally, are getting a really good education. And when they leave, can go and do whatever it is they want to do is, is really important for, for me. So that felt good. And then I think, you know, seeing a program that had, has a really high ceiling. Like I think BU has a really high ceiling. We've got a ridiculous boathouse. We've got a great body of water to row on. We're in a great rowing city. Um, you know, resource-wise, like we're we're well taken care of. We've, we're fully funded with twenty scholarships. We get new boats when we need them. Um, you know, we're we're in pretty good hands. And so, with the on the rowing side, I saw a program that I thought could could really you know develop into something something really competitive and something really exciting. So those two pieces to being together um, were what was really attractive to me about that. And so I went, yeah, I went through the, the interviewing process there, pretty interviewed pretty quickly, waited a while, and then, yeah, got it that summer. Actually, while I was at Henley uh, with Ohio State, um, got that, got the offer and, and accepted that job. How... What went through your mind and body when you got that email saying you got the job? Uh, I mean, I was thrilled. I was definitely sick to my stomach because <laughs> it's it's really scary. Um, and I had been, you know, I'd been an assistant coach for a while and I'd yeah. been at, at really well-run programs um, and, and working with some really incredible coaches. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is yours. You got to this is your program. You got to figure out what you're going to do with assistant coaches. You got to figure out when practice is going to start. You got to, you know, all this stuff now. Um, and it was, I want to point something, to point something out. Um, eight years, eight years from Hun to the head coach of BU. Yeah. That is a very short period of time to it know was. nothing about coaching. <laughs> Being the head coach of a nationally ranked D1 program. If yeah. I had a hat, I'd, I'd tip it to you. That eight years in the grand scheme is not a lot of time. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, no, it was. It, it, and it felt, you know, it felt, it felt both quick and like I had been doing it forever. Uh, and I think like... Rowing coaches work 100-hour work weeks, right? In some cases, right. you're in a regatta for like 36 hours. Right. right. So eight years of rowing coaching is like 15 years of a normal job. That's right. That's <laughs> I'm going to use that. I I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> eight and 15. Make sure you cite your sources. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry, Maddie. Uh, all right. So um, another question I had was, I know you're married. Did you get, did you get married um, after BU job or like, cause it's hard to move. Ohio to Boston. Like I'd imagine you would have to have a really good support system to do that. Um, yeah. Uh, no, so I, I met my husband here in Boston. 
um, and got married Beautiful. Here. So you were just flying solo. Hey, I'm going, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I, I have had some conversations with other, you know, young, like we talked about your young assistant coaches that are trying to make connections and learn and, and yeah. grow in the, in the profession. And, um, you know, I, and we've talked about sort of my trajectory and the jumps that I've made and the careers that the, the positions that I had. And, and I have, I have, I've always said, you know, I, I moved really, I think quite quickly from like through, through the ranks. And a big part of that was because I made the decision early on at that point that this, that my career was my focus for, for this time, I'm going to go where the jobs are. I'm going to go wherever I think I have the best opportunity to advance myself. And right. So I moved from New Jersey to California, to Ohio, to Boston in eight years, something like that. Those are, those are a lot of big moves. And I'm, I'm really, I'm very happy that I did. It got me the opportunities that I've had and it helped me get to, to where I am now. But I also, you know, you sacrifice a lot to take, to take that route and just to sort of up, upend your life every one to three to four years and make a big move like that. You know, you've, you've got to make some sacrifices along the way. Um, I'm, so I'm I think so, um, I'm so envious of you. Um, I've been in the same town, the same area, I think since 2006, like I haven't moved. Like I, I tried something somewhere and I was like, no, 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 I'm coming back. And now I've changed careers and I've, I've, I started finish line in 2012, so going on 10 years. Um, but I, I'm like so envious of people that can like uproot themselves like that and yeah. do that and make those, and this is not a negative word, the selfish moves yeah. to put themselves in a better place. And uh, yeah, I mean, I wish there are times where I would think back, I'm like, man, I wish I could have done something else. Um, but you made a selfish, a selfish decision not negative, um, nope. to do something that, that, that you found an obsession with like yeah. coaching BU is a passion and an obsession. I'd imagine yeah. it's, they, they ride that line. Um, yeah. so 2017, you're going on your fifth, sixth year. Um, this is, yeah, I'm in my fifth year. At you're in your fifth year. Um, the, the title though, director of women's rowing, was that happened in 2017 or was that a progression to get to that? Because I don't know the difference between head women's coach and director of rowing of women. Yeah, sure. So that position existed prior. Uh, so that that was the position that was that was being hired for when I took the took the job. So director of women's rowing. Um, I that's because we have an open weight and a lightweight team. And so different schools handle that differently. But the way that we do it here is that I oversee both programs. Mm -hmm. I'm the head coach for the open weight team. And then I also oversee the lightweight women's rowing program. Uh, so that's the, that's what the director. And Malcolm is the women's lightweight coach. Yep. So Malcolm Doldren is the lightweight women's coach. So I was really fortunate because I think stepping into a head coaching role for the first time is a big jump, no matter what. And then on top of that, you're also, you know, supervising another rowing team within the boathouse. That's a, that's a tricky you know, that's a big jump, right? That can be a tricky situation. Yeah, 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 of um, and Malcolm, an incredibly talented, accomplished coach. He knows what he's doing. We've known each other for, we knew each other back in, back in Princeton. So I've known him for, for quite a while. And so we, we had a good sort of, we had some background to, to start building this relationship off of. Um, and the lightweights have been really I mean, when did he get that job? So the program started in 2014. And so Malcolm has been the only head coach for the lightweight since the program started. He was here before that as an assistant for the open weight team. So it's safe to say he's part of your family of coaches. He yes. is part of that, that realm. Yeah. Uh, he, like, you know, I want to, he is so cool. Like, yes. And he's got a hell of a handshake too, by the way. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's got a hell. And I, I remember that about him. I, I saw him at BU in 2019 um, when we had Resolute. And we had come in, we had worked with him on a couple of things. And I just remember shaking his hand because I remember him years ago in other places. Um, but I still remember that. So tell him I said hello uh, next time. We'll see do. Um, so director of, of women's rowing, you're going on fifth, going into sixth year. Um, 
what kind of expectations do you have for your program? Because BU is good. Yeah. I, you haven't won the national championship. You're, you're, you're not at that, like, I want to say caliber because you do have the opportunity to be there. Uh, what are the expectations of the program? Yeah, so I think there's there's sort of the the big picture and then sort of this more specific process goal, goals. And I think the big picture is some of what I was talking about before with what attracted me to the position. And that's just being able to have a program with a culture of excellence academically and athletically and being able to do both of those things at a really high level and bringing in recruits and a team that understands and is hungry to do both of those things at a really high level and understanding that we don't have to compromise it on either. And so I, that's, you know, that's, that's big. That's a lot of, that's a lot of talk. It's a lot of philosophy. Um, but I, it's, you know, being in a place to me where we've got a team full of people that have really high expectations for themselves personally, as a rower, as a teammate and outside of the sport too. Mm within their classes, their, their internships, their research positions, what they want to do when they graduate and being able to do both of those things together. That's, that's the kind of culture that, that we're trying to create here. And I think that's, that's something that we have going very strongly now where we have women on the team who want to work really hard in the lab, in their major, and also come and be, you know, train and live like D1 championship caliber athletes and it's understanding that like we're not going to give on either of these things we're not going to give on our training we're not going to give on our academic expectations but we can do both of those things and sometimes they're going to come into conflict and we're going to have to navigate that but that's you know that's sort of big picture philosophy what the goals are and then I think specifically like our goal is to win our conference championship our goal is to win the Patriot League um, and that's something that I think you know it's it's uh, this is a good, this is a, this is a good conference and it's getting better and it's getting deeper. And, uh, you know, Navy, Navy's won for quite a few years now and, and have, have been improving with how they've been doing nationally along the way as well. Um, and I think this year it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a good field uh, with them and Bucknell and Georgetown and, and us and the rest of the field. Like I think things are getting more competitive in the, in the league, which is good because it's forcing us to be better as well. Um, but that's, you know, our, com objectively, competitively, our goal is, is to win our conference championship, get to NCAAs and start being able to do that more consistently. So, and, and look, and forgive me because I, I don't know, I spend so much of my time learning about and studying high school junior rowing and, and not so much collegiate. When was the last time BU was at the NCAA championships? 2014. It's been a long time. It's been a while. You're, are you feeling that itch? You're like, I gotta, I yeah. gotta get there. Yeah. Are you yeah. naturally a competitive person? Is like, does it, does it fire you up to win or lose? Oh yeah. I could do yeah. immediately. You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how bad do you, I was talking to Volp, Volp yesterday and he jumped in seven C to the eight with his boys fairly recently uh, down in Florida. Uh, they just, and he says, man, I got that itch. You know, I want to, I want to race again. As a coach, competitor, do you get that feeling? When was the last time you competed, raced? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yes, I think in competing, like I, I feel very strongly that being, uh, being fit, being athletic, and like leading a healthy lifestyle is really important for coaches, both for our own well-being and to set an example for our rowers that that this is a lifestyle that rowing. Well, first, like row forever pretty much. Um, so rowing doesn't have to stop when you graduate college, but, but if you do want to stop rowing when you graduate college, fine, but you should always have a level of, of fitness and athleticism and just care for your body and health that, that should extend to your whole life. And so I think it's important for coaches to be able to model that behavior for the, for their athletes too. Um, and I think I also feel better and more like better about myself, more confident in speaking with my rowers about racing when, when I'm still competing myself. Now I don't, I don't train in rowing. I'm not rowing a lot. Although I did race ahead of the Charles, but two years ago with just this awesome eight that came together quite haphazardly. Um, but it was, 
you know, it had, we had Nancy LaRock from Dartmouth. We had Liz Trond in there. Yeah. We had Liz Tuppen from Michigan. You know, we had just like a bunch of, a bunch of coaches in a bunch that's a, that's, that's a mic drop, name drop <laughs> moment right there. We started piecing things together and we're like, boat is insane. <laughs> and we got there, we're like, a lot of coaches in one boat. Everyone's going to have to like chill out a little bit. And, but it was, it was awesome. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been like, I've gotten into, tri- into triathlons, which I think is a, a great natural next step for rowers because it's like, do you, do you just want to suffer for a really long time? And we're all really good at that. Um, but, but like, Hey, it's in different disciplines. So you can suffer in the, in the water and then you can suffer on the bike and then you can suffer on the run. And, uh, and so I like that, that was good and going out and I've tried different sports also like over the years between triathlon and boxing and CrossFit and, and just different things to keep challenging myself. And I think especially to keep, to keep competing and, and having the discipline of, okay, I'm on a training plan. I've got to follow the training plan. I've, I've got to, you know, I got to go train when I don't feel like it. And I've got to go race when it's cold and rainy out and, and just putting yourself in those positions still so that you, you never get too far away from what you're asking your athletes to do. I, I find that that makes it, it gives me more confidence in what, what I'm asking the rowers to do when I know that like, I'm not that far from it myself too. different level. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you're, you're such a, you and I are, are a, such a unique age in our lives. You know, when you get to forties and fifties, you, 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 you spend less time focused on your fitness, right? So you get yeah. really disconnected from your athletes in that sense, but you, you're still young enough that you're, you, you still remember your college days. You still remember those not too far off. And I would imagine that earns a lot of respect from your athletes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think to them, I just seem really old, <laughs> like close to it. They think we're ancient. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that, man. Oh God. We were, we were in front of um, high school students yesterday, last night at this, at this live event. And I looked in the audience and my daughter was there and she's eight. I was like, I think they're, they look, they look like her. And it, it was shocking. It's like, holy cow, I am old. Oh yeah. my goodness, 36. Uh, okay, so Maddie, you, you've been at BU. I'm not, you don't have to say, okay. Is, is the job at BU so compelling and so good and so strong that you envision yourself being there for a long time? If, if, if you had your way, I mean, or... And you, I don't know if this is the right question to ask, but you know, do you, do you get that itch of wanting to go somewhere else? Because coaching, it changes all the time. I mean, there's very few coaches that stay with a program for more than 15 or yeah. more years. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I felt that very acutely as an assistant coach um, that I was, you know, I was, I was always really happy with where I was and I was always thinking about the next step and, yeah. and how can I, how can I progress? You know, I was coaching at Stanford, we were doing really well. And I was like, how do I get from lightweight coaching to openweight coaching? Right. Then we get to Ohio state I'm doing really well. And it's like, okay, how do I get from assistant coaching to head coaching? Mm -hmm. And so I I have, even when I've been satisfied and happy with where I was, I've always been looking for that. And and I think Al Acosta at Stanford gave me a real gift when I started off there by telling me upfront, like, this is a two to three year job. Mm -hmm. Maybe he said three to four, I forget, but three-ish years. Because he's like, at that point, either you decide this isn't for you. You know, you've done it. You tried it. It's not for you. You go and get that marketing job you should have had senior year and you move along. Or you decide this is awesome. I want to keep doing it. And you take the next step in, in, the, in the career. Yeah. And I think that was a real gift for, for my boss to say, if this is going well, we should be able to help you move along to the next step in the appropriate amount of time. And so that was, that was helpful. And so I think as an assistant, I always felt that, that push to, to keep progressing. Um, I, I, and I don't feel that acutely at, at BU. I'm really, I feel like we have so much left to do here. Oh. Like I, I really, and I don't know that I'll ever not feel like that, but I, I just like, I, I have so much love for the women on the team and and what they're capable of and what they haven't yet achieved like we haven't yet won the Patriot championship we haven't yet reached our potential Mm. and 
And I have so much love and respect for them and for the program and what I think we can be and what we're progressing towards being that, you know, that desire of that, that kind of, you know, itch of like, what's the next thing. I just, I'm not, I don't feel that because I think there's, there's, we still have more work to do. Yeah. So last question for you. Um, it, it ties it into the leadership that you've been around at Ohio State, Stanford. What does that great assistant coach look like for you? How would you describe, like, first off, tell me who is your staff? Like, who's on your staff at, at BU? T tell me their names. And then I want to know, you know, for that young woman or that young man that is looking for that job, paint the resume for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my staff here now is Matt Hannig, uh, is my assistant coach, and he's been here. I actually kept him on staff when I came in at BU. He had been here for several years before that. Um, and so, so he had a lot of experience with in rowing in general and at BU. And then I also brought in um, Hannah Woodruff, who's my other assistant coach, um, who had won a national championship with Wellesley as a coxswain and then also as a coach. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm trying to draw, right? We've, we've got, I think, on the coaching staff, a wide variety of experiences. Matt was a club rower in college, coached juniors, coached at BU. Hannah, Cox, Cox National Championship D3 program, coached juniors, coached at Wellesley as well to a national championship. And, and then obviously I'm coming in with, with a lot of D1 coaching experience, lightweight, open weight, and all, all of that. So I, I think what I like in the staff is that we come at it from a lot of different approaches and that we can say, you know, I tried this here and it worked. You know, when I was coaching at this D3 program, we tried this and it worked. When I was coaching at this junior program, we tried this and it worked. And, and to go all the way sort of back to what we're talking about at Hun, like rowing is rowing in, in most ways. Mm. You know, the kinds of the workouts that are effective, you know, the rigging changes that you try in different weather, but all that, the, the way you handle team strife there's nuances for every particular situation for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. but it, it's all rowing. And I think being willing to take ideas from sort of unconventional places and not just say like, well, what's the rest of D one open weight women's rowing doing, but what, what can we take from the men's team across, you know, across our boathouse and, and other, you know, other coaches that we know on staff, like that's, that's been really important. Um, but so I think, you know, what, what can, what makes a good assistant coach? I, something that's really valuable to me in an assistant coach is somebody that's willing to speak their mind and, and disagree. And because of what I is not helpful when it comes back to, you know, being, being the head coach and, and having it be somewhat of a lonely, a lonely role. It's not helpful for a head coach to have a staff that when the head coach says, Hey, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, and Z at practice tomorrow. What do you think? And they all say, oh, great. Yeah, great idea, boss. It's like, no, I actually want to know, like, what, what do you think? Should I, should we make that speed race switch? Should we do that workout? Should we, whatever it is, you know, I really want to know yeah. what do you think about it? And, and I tell, you know, I tell Matt Hanna this a lot, like, I want you to, to bring different ideas to the table. And I want you to disagree with me. If you do, I want you to tell me that. And we can do it in a respectful manner. And I'm not going to feel upset or threatened by that. And I might still decide, no, we're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it the way I originally wanted. And you also have to understand like, and accept that, that that's okay. But creating an environment where everybody can have ideas and have differing ideas and bad ideas that sometimes turn out to be good ideas, that's, that's the kind of environment where think you can really get the most out of the coaching staff you get the most out of the team and then and then the assistant coaches are really growing and developing because they're able to have ideas implement them and see how they go as opposed to just being a mouthpiece for the head coach and just doing what the coach says and and mimicking that back and not really feeling like they have ownership and accountability in the whole process man come on this is exciting. I love this. This is a great conversation. Now I'm like, wondering, should I try coaching again? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. maybe, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's my future. I don't know. Uh, Maddie, 
I had a blast learning about you. I learned a lot. I took, I don't know, five pages of notes over here. Uh, and if anyone listening or watching on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever, want to learn more about BU, well, this is the right person to talk to. We will put somewhere in the links down here how to get a hold of Maddie and all the other coaches at BU. Um, Maddie, thank you for being here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Alex, thank you so much. This was great. And now everyone tune in because we are getting really close to that lucky number 100. Maddie, I'm sorry you didn't make the cut. You weren't number 100. That is a big deal for me. I'm holding on this, but I think you're like 98. I don't know, whatever it is. But I'll take it. It's, a, it's the ramp up's very important. It's the ramp up. You know, it's, the, it's yeah. the one before the 100. All right, Maddie, thank you for being here. Everyone tuning in, more from us. Thank you very much.